You may have noticed on the first slide to that hymn, it's arranged by Shane Kaufman. Shane is the worship leader for the Memorial Drive Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Some of you may know that. What you may not know, Shane Kaufman was born in the Valley View Hospital in Ada, Oklahoma, about two weeks after my sister. So he should be celebrating a birthday uh, right about now. But anyway, Stephen, thank you for leading us uh, in those beautiful hymns uh, this morning. One other quick announcement while I have everyone's attention. Uh, If you are a life group leader and you have not received your second envelope, please see me. I still have, I think, five or six uh, to hand out. Uh, We, uh, this first Sunday that we have been back together, but after we met uh, a couple of weeks ago, and handed out the initial uh, envelopes to our life group leaders. We had an anonymous donor come back and say, I want to double that. And so our life groups have $1,000 to pay it forward rather than just uh, $500. And I visited with several uh, of our leaders over the past week or so, and really some exciting things uh, are being discussed. And I know those discussions will uh, continue tonight or maybe the next time uh, your group uh, meets. So that's really, really exciting and uh, looking forward to hearing back after everyone has uh, used those uh, monies uh, in our community. Uh, We're going to dedicate some time over uh, a couple of Sundays to hopefully show some pictures, maybe even some videos of all the things that we accomplish, uh, that God accomplishes uh, through us as his people here in uh, this community. So please continue to talk about that, pray about that. And uh, as reports come in, please share those pictures with the office and we'll begin to put some of those things uh, together. If you brought your New Testament this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be studying uh, together verses 9 and 10 this morning. Fleming Rutledge has said, Most Christians say the Lord's Prayer with great frequency and familiarity so that we scarcely know what we are saying. Last Sunday, I began a new series of sermons that I have titled, This Then is How You Should Pray. And the goal of this series is to challenge us to pray the Lord's Prayer more frequently and to better understand what we are praying. I began this series last Sunday by, first of all, kind of by way of introduction, looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, as well as verses 5 through 8 of Matthew 6. And here is what we discussed. The Pharisees married, uh, excuse me, measured a man's devotion to God by focusing on outward acts of righteousness. Jesus seems to address this 
abuse of righteousness in the lives of Pharisees in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. And so he chooses three activities that the Pharisees were particularly noted for. Benevolent giving, prayer, and fasting. It seems that the Pharisees abused these acts of righteousness, which Jesus declares should flow from the inside out. And so Jesus is not saying that we avoid doing these things. He wants us to regularly share what we have been given in a benevolent kind of way. He wants us to pray. He wants us to fast. So he's not saying to avoid these things, but to simply be careful how we do these acts of righteousness. That we should have the right motive in mind. We should have the right audience in mind when we express our faith and devotion to God in these various ways. And so after also warning against praying meaningless repetitions as the pagans did, Jesus offers us a model prayer which has been passed down now to us as the Lord's Prayer. And so this morning, uh, we will begin to discuss specifically each of the key phrases in the Lord's Prayer. And as I mentioned, we'll talk this morning about verses 9 and 10, which is the first table, if you will, of the prayer, which addresses the person to whom we pray and the purpose of our praying. Let's read verse 9. Our Father in heaven. So it's pretty obvious the person to whom we pray. It is God our Father in heaven. What is interesting is in the Greek text, Father is actually the first word, and rightly so. And so Jesus mentions Father first, not only to identify to whom we pray, but also to emphasize the relationship that we are to have with our Father. You see, God exists in and through relationships and consistently throughout Scripture, whether you're reading something from the Old Testament or the New Testament. Uh, God regularly refers to His people as His children. And the word Father certainly emphasizes that. So as we begin to discuss the meaning and significance of the Lord's Prayer, it begins by understanding this relationship that we are to have with God as our Father, and we are His children. But Jesus prays, our Father in heaven. In heaven allows us to understand God's nearness and availability without confining Him to some specific geographical location, which is what the pagans did in the worship 
of their deities. Psalm 33 verses 13 and 14 reads, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. And so heaven should remind us that God is above, that God is ruler over his creation. God is ruler of the universe. William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas in their book, Lord Teach Us, The Lord's Prayer and the Christian Life, write this, commenting on this particular phrase. The God whom we have been taught by Jesus to address as our Father is the one who rules the whole cosmos, who speaks in earthquake, wind, and fire. Any less of a God wouldn't do us much good. And they're right. Our God is our Father. He is our Creator. He is ruler of the cosmos in the heavens. So Jesus begins by emphasizing this relationship with God as Father. But the first word in an English translation is the word our. What does the word our suggest? That Christianity is inherently communal. Remember, the word church, very practically speaking, means those who have gathered together. We are a community. We are a family. We gather as God's people together, praying to our Father. Also underscores the corporate nature of this prayer. Prayer begins within a community of concordant faith. Even when solitary Christians pray the Lord's Prayer, their address to our Father is a reminder that each prays as a member of a corporate entity, a single believer among a congregation a local church within a worldwide fellowship. See Clifton Black in his book, The Lord's Prayer. It's been, I don't know, several, several years now that I have developed uh, the habit of when I awake in the morning just to kind of naturally recite to myself so I don't wake Lori up, the Lord's Prayer. And, and for several years, I would pray, My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who trespass or sin against me, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And after studying this, I've repented of that. And so now I am no longer praying my Father in heaven, but I've gone back to quoting this 
Lord's Prayer as Jesus tells us to. And being reminded that we are together. And this prayer is designed to be very communal in its orientation. But there's one other thing about Jesus telling us to pray our Father. Not only does it emphasize the relationship we have with each other, but what else does it emphasize? Our relationship with Jesus himself. So this plural possessive pronoun not only suggests the community aspect of this prayer, but Jesus also invites us to take our place beside him in praying this prayer. And so at the very beginning, this prayer emphasizes relationships, our relationship with God as our Father, our relationship together as His children, and our relationship with our Savior and Lord Jesus as our brother, as we are in a relationship with Him as well. The prayer continues then uh, with the second part of verse 9 and through verse 10. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the purpose of this prayer is now indicated and expressed through three petitions that are very closely related. These three verbs that we find in these three phrases, hallowed, which by the way is a verb, not an adjective, come and done are actually third person imperatives. They're passive in mood, or or excuse me, voice. That is, they are commands. And when the imperative tense is used in this sense, it has the force of urgency or a request. And so maybe a more literal translation or a better translation of the Lord's Prayer would be, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And because they are passive, it means It is God's name that is to receive the action. It is God's name that is to be hallowed. His kingdom is to receive the action. It is to come into our lives. And God's will is to receive the action. It is to be done on earth as it perfectly is in heaven. The word hallow may not be a word we use as often in our language today. It simply means to honor, to esteem, to make uncommon, to treat as special. And so when we pray, Lord, may your name be hallowed. May your name be treated as special, as uncommon, as unique. When we pray, may your kingdom come, we are talking about God's rule 
coming into our lives. The word kingdom, we could spend uh, an entire quarter talking about the word uh, kingdom. It's an abstract noun in the New Testament relating to what we might call kingly or royal administration. Uh, The ideas of kingship, royal power, royal rule, kingly reign uh, are ways that we could translate or maybe better understand the word kingdom. It is not static but dynamic. And so kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven denotes God's kingly rule. The kingdom of God is the range of his perfect, uh, effective uh, will. It is the domain where what God desires and favors actually happens. And so this petition Uh, This purpose of the Lord's prayer is that His rule, His reign might be manifest and effective throughout the world and especially in our own individual lives. N.T. Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, writes this, the second main petition in the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come rules out any idea that the kingdom of God is purely a heavenly or otherworldly kingdom. It is His rule, His reign, that is also to be visible and extended in the world in which we now live. And again, especially in our own personal lives. The third uh, petition, uh, the third purpose... Uh, of this prayer is parallel to kingdom. And that is when Jesus prays, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is his purpose, desire, and commands. And when Jesus prays, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is the implication? that God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. Because sometimes I do Randy's will instead of God's will. And we can often be very selfish in the choices we make. So God's rule is not yet perfectly visible and executed in the way He nor we should long for it to be. Because again, many times man does as man wills rather than what God's purpose is for our lives. So Jesus is bidding us to pray that life on earth may come to approximate more nearly life in heaven where God's will is perfectly done. So I might summarize uh, the first or top table, if you will, of the Lord's Prayer with these two points. Number one, the first phase of the prayer establishes, again, the relationship in which the prayer can be meaningful. Remembering God as our Father, one another as fellow children in God's family 
as well as remembering Jesus as our brother. The second extended phrase, which I have referred to as the purpose for this prayer, establishes that it is not to get my will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth, to bring the reality of his kingdom into my life and into the lives of those I encounter. So as we conclude this morning, I want to suggest seven ways that we might apply or think about uh, the first two points that we've made uh, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 concerning the Lord's Prayer. Number one, seek to enhance your relationship with God. Now, how might we do that? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. How do we seek to enhance our relationship with anyone? Maybe through more time spent with them. Maybe by dialoguing with them more often. When it comes to God as our creator, spending more time in God's creation. I love the springtime of the year, don't you? Now, I don't like what the springtime of the year does to me. It tends to clog me up and make my voice sound even more funny than it is, being from southeastern Oklahoma. Uh, but I love the spring because it reminds us of God's creativity, his, his awesome power as we step out into this world that uh, he has blessed us to be a part of. And so look for ways, think of ways to enhance your relationship with God, your Father. Number two, protect God's name. One way we can hallow God's name. One way we can honor God's name is to remember that we wear God's name. Did, did your parents ever go, uh, ever say to you as you went somewhere and as you were going out the door, don't do anything to embarrass us? Or am I the only one that their parents said that to? Come on. Right? I mean, we, I, I've said that to my two sons. Or, or maybe, maybe you have been on some kind of athletic team and your coach or maybe the principal at a pep rally would say, okay, remember whose name you're wearing across your chest. Don't do anything to embarrass the school. All right. Well, what can we do to protect God's name? Well, remembering who he is and remembering that we are his. Remembering that everywhere we go, we are taking him with us. Uh, he lives within us. Think about that. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says we as, as indwellers of God's spirit, we are the temple now of God. And so everywhere we go, God, God is, is with us. And, and again, we are, we are wearing his name. And so live our lives in such a way that we honor him and we protect his name. Number three, again, remember the importance of communal prayer. 
Remember the importance of praying together. Praying together. So, so many of you know that, that my brother uh, is now a state representative in the state of Oklahoma, representing uh, District 25. And Wednesday night, uh, we, you know, we had to make some decisions about the future care of, of our dad uh, Wednesday. And so Ronnie left uh, Oklahoma City and his busy day at the House of Representatives and drove down to Ada uh, to be with my mother and uh, to support her. And he, he tweeted out, he tweeted out about 9 o'clock. I'm, I'm sitting in an elders meeting, and my phone lights up, and, and I look at that, and Daryl Bull saw it as well. Uh, and he, he tweets something like, you know, when you've left the state capitol to go to check on your dad in Ada, Oklahoma, and you receive a call from four of your constituents or your fellow representatives who want to know, hey, we're in Ada now, we've gotten lost, we want to come and pray with you. I mean, how good is that stuff? The power of community prayer. And so those fellow reps went in to my dad's room and prayed with my mother and brother. I, I don't live in their district, but if I did, I'd vote for them. I mean, that's pretty powerful because they understand the power of community prayer. And so I would encourage us, every opportunity we have, to, when we are together, to pray, to pray. To, to believe in the power of this prayer and the other prayers that we pray, and particularly the power of praying communally. Uh, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to see us spend more time corporately in prayer, whether it's in this assembly or our Bible class, whenever we're together, to be sure we stop and take time to pray. Number four, understand that kingdom is a question about whom or what we worship. If you go back to Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, in Matthew's account, the last temptation, Satan leads Jesus up to a high mountain and they're, they're standing on this mountain, they're looking across the land, and Satan says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And do you remember how Jesus responds? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, there's, there's a correlation between kingdom and worship. We might put it this way. Whatever rules our hearts is what we really worship. And that's why God is after our heart. That is why Jesus emphasizes righteousness flows from the inside out. He says in another place that it's not what goes into man that defiles us, but what comes out. So whatever is ruling our heart, whatever is the kingdom of our heart, 
in all reality, is what we are worshiping. And God knows no rivals. And he must be first in our lives. So understand that, that this, this kingdom thing is, is really associated with worship. Number five, always ask, is this God's will? Praying your will be done should kind of be a judgment upon us. Because again, so often I want to do what I want to do. I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. And so when we, if we're bold enough to pray this prayer, it, it causes self-reflection. And, and we should look inside our hearts and again ask the question, is God truly ruling and reigning? So to, protect, to pray this petition is to ask God to help us want what He wants, what He desires, rather than what we want. Number six. This hit me about halfway through this week in preparing for this lesson. Notice the correlation of this initial part, what I'm calling the first table of the prayer, to our vision. You see that? Father, Father, connecting with God. Our unity of believers. Making God's name holy in our lives. Again, connecting with God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Restore all things. Glenn Stassen in his book, Living the Sermon on the Mount, in commenting on the Lord's Prayer says... When you pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, envision conflict being resolved. If if we can be a peacemaker in our community, if we can promote peace in the lives that we are a part of, we're restoring all things. Stassen continues. When marriages and families are healed, when truth told and uh, people are faithful to one another, initiatives that break through the vicious cycles of retaliation and love that creates new community among people through forgiveness, reconciliation, and peacemaking. We are becoming instruments through which God's will is being done and the kingdom is breaking forth in God's creation, restoring all things. Where healing and restoration occur, there you see the kingdom of God. And then finally, number seven. If we're going to pray this prayer, I, I, hope, I hope we understand we got to live the prayer. If we're going to pray this way, we got to live this way. And, and really, that, that is kind of the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount, is, is living life on a higher plane. 
living life as God has designed it, in, in which we do connect with God, in which we understand our relationship with our Father and our relationship with our Savior and our relationship with one another and our relationship to the community in which we live, the world uh, all over, in, in, in which we live in such a way that we are peacemakers. We extend mercy. We extend grace. We extend love. As, again, we seek to be instruments through which God can just bring a little heaven onto earth. So it is very humbling to pray this prayer. Because if we pray it, we also need to live it. So in the weeks to come, as we continue to, to work our way through this prayer, I want to continue to challenge you with what I challenged you last week. To do as at least the early second Christians did, according to a little church manual called the Didache, to begin to get into the habit of praying the Lord's Prayer at least three times a day. But when we pray that prayer at any time, to remember to pray it is to live it. And are you living for Jesus this morning? If we can assist you in your walk with your God and with your Lord, if we can encourage you in any way, please come while we stand and sing.